The Flyover Libertarian, Episode 5. Hey, what's up? This is the Flyover Libertarian Podcast, where two, make that three unimportant people from an unimportant place, give you the opinion that you didn't ask for. I say three because we've got a guest this week. Yeah, I'm the Rural Rothbard, and that was Iowa Cap. Today we're speaking with Darabelli, an anonymous Twitter user from the dark net. The dark net. Darabelli, your Twitter description says you've been down the Bitcoin rabbit hole since 475,000. When was that? Uh, that was about uh, July of 2017. Uh, that is... Oh. That number is referring to the Bitcoin block height at that point. It was about 475,000 blocks when I first heard right. about Bitcoin. That was right before things were getting really interesting. Yeah, it was. Uh, I happened to, I, I'm proud to say, I purchased my first little, tiny little piece of a Bitcoin uh, the day before Bitcoin hit $10,000 the first time. I don't remember the date, um, but if I ever looked at a chart, I could figure it out. Interesting. Um, so yeah, that was a very volatile year for, for Bitcoin. What a common argument I hear is the, the volatility is actually, uh, makes a case against Bitcoin. And so that's why we've seen these fake cryptocurrencies like Libra come up that are actually pegged to the dollar. Um, do you see that as a drawback, the volatility? Um, I see it. I see the volatility as, um, certainly a caution for people um, who care primarily about Bitcoin's exchange rate. Um, volatility um, in USD terms has, uh, has no implication on uh, the reasons why Bitcoin was created. Um, it has no implications on whether or not Bitcoin works. Um, but for the people who want to get rich, yeah, that can, that can make or break their opinion of it. Um, additionally, if uh, somebody were to have put all of their life savings into Bitcoin about six weeks ago, they would now have approximately half of that. Um, and so as a, as a, as a uh, short-term emergency savings, um, Bitcoin's probably not the way to go right now. Um, however, when you, when you factor out that and you consider um, everything else that Bitcoin is for, uh, the argument still stands pretty strong that the world needs Bitcoin um, and will continue to do so, uh, especially considering the last couple weeks worth of uh, economic events uh, as a result of the coronavirus. Sure, that coronavirus, uh, which you incidentally have, actually. Well, uh, not confirmed that I can't get tested because there aren't enough tests, but uh, I've decided in all my vast amount of uh, medical knowledge that I am self-diagnosing as COVID-19 positive. Did you web them? No, I, them I really just went on Twitter. I asked my much. friends on Twitter and said, Good hey, enough. do I have coronavirus? And, they, and that's oh, even better than WebMD. It's coronavirus now. Okay. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Iowa Cap was laughing and uh, Darabelli was coughing. That's perfect. Yeah. Um, so, so you, That's great. instead of a short-term emergency savings funds, which would be pretty ill-advised at this point for Bitcoin, just because it is volatile compared to the U.S. dollar, um, does that make it good for a long-term hedge then? Um, more than anything, Bitcoin was created as a hedge against um, 
the financial system that currently exists, uh, the fiat currencies, the um, unabashed money printing. Um, and it simply says that uh, this, this uh, financial system that we have right now is not sustainable, will end someday, though we're not sure when. Um, and it, Bitcoin gives people the opportunity to opt out. Bitcoin is the antithesis pretty much of the U.S. dollar at this point. Um, everything that uh, the, uh, the, the powers that be in, in the Fed and the U.S. government um, want for a money, um, easy money, easy to manipulate, easy to use politically, um, Bitcoin is not that. Um, and so it is a hedge against an uncertain political and economic future um, that, uh, that um, given the proper considerations, uh, will almost certainly protect whoever's holding their Bitcoins um, from whatever's coming down the pipe, be it a year down the road or, or 100. I don't know the timeline. I just know that 100% uh, of fiat currencies end worthless. The average age of a fiat currency is like 27 years. And the U.S. dollar, which is a fiat currency, is going on 50 at this point. Um, so the odds are against the U.S. dollar, uh, the U.S. dollar's longevity. Sure, that's 50 years since we went off the gold standard? Uh, yeah, the 50 years the since 70s. the 1971, I believe it was the end of the uh, Bretton Woods Agreement, yeah, uh, yeah, if I remember correctly. They had already so, weakened it before that. Yeah, so, I, so we went off the gold yeah. standard like in the 30s officially. Um, the Bretton Woods Agreement, um, I believe, was that the U.S. dollar would be um, pegged some way to gold and that other countries could peg their money to the U.S. dollar, thereby extension to gold. Um, in 1971, they completely went off the Bretton Woods Agreement. U.S. dollar was, at that point, pegged 100% to the full faith and credit of the U.S. government, um, and things have just been kind of in freefall since then. Today is March 23, and the Federal Reserve announced they are willing to buy securities in the amounts needed to support smooth market functioning. So, what does that do you know what that means, and, and why would you want to hedge against that? Yeah, so this is getting into the part where um, the air coming out of my mouth is rapidly heating up. I will blow as much hot air as I can. Um, <laughs> I understand it, but not enough to teach, so I don't really understand it. But essentially, um, what it used to be is that the Fed purchased treasury bonds, and that was it. And they used that to manipulate the, the money supply. Um, in the last uh, four or five days, really, but the last couple weeks, uh, the Fed has really jumped the shark um, and has really just said they will buy anything with the money that they can create out of thin air to give functionally um, cash to any company that's um, uh, failing. So I, I don't know if Goldman Sachs is having an issue, but if Goldman Sachs was having an issue, the Fed might be willing to purchase stock in Goldman Sachs in exchange for money that Goldman Sachs could then use to finance its operation. Um, then the Fed owns a portion of Goldman Sachs, and the assumption is that eventually Goldman Sachs will have to purchase those shares back. Um, but uh, that whether or not that actually happens remains to be seen. The reason that 
that this is significant is that the Fed well, has to create the money to purchase the equities. Um, and in doing so, it is increasing the amount of U.S. dollars that are in circulation, which is causing inflation, which is reducing purchasing power, uh, which is taking the country closer um, to hyperinflation, um, which could result in some pretty nasty economic issues. Yeah, yeah, we've seen that in a lot of places around the world. Can I ask a question? Um, so I know that there's other cryptocurrencies out there, and you are pretty heavily in favor of Bitcoin. I I was wondering if you could maybe give an explanation as to why Bitcoin as opposed to these other things. And keep in mind that you are speaking to someone with the mind of about a fifth grader on this issue. So if you can give some explanation of that. Bitcoin has different advantages that no other cryptocurrency has. And it's not like Bitcoin beats one in this area and beats another in this area. It's that none of the others have the advantages that Bitcoin has. Um, the first one is it is the only one that is completely decentralized. Every single other cryptocurrency that you read about will have a foundation or will have a creator, will have an organization that's uh, managing it. Some of them have like actual incorporated companies managing them. Um, and if you want to do anything that is in any way considered politically deviant, you have to be decentralized or else the government will someday come and shut you down. So if any of these coins ever wanted to actively go against the U.S. or the U.S. dollar or the U.S.'s ability to send their military wherever the hell they want, um, you, uh, you have to be, an, you have to be a, an entity. I can't even, there's no word for it. You have to be a thing that doesn't have a central point of failure. So that's the most critical one, is that everything else can be um, seized. So there was a thing called, um, I want to say it's eCash. I think there was also the Liberty Dollar at one point. All of those were alternatives to the U.S. dollar in the 80s or 90s. Um, but they were all centralized. There was a central clearing house um, that was processing transactions, and that is who the government went after once they got a little bit uncomfortable with the existence of that alternate currency. Um, so that is the number one reason um, that none of the others will ever succeed. Was Dogecoin decentralized? Dogecoin, um, you know, honestly, Dogecoin is the meme of the cryptocurrency world, and would, yeah, I know. I would be I one of my one would be one of my top five to actually succeed. Dogecoin has no interest in taking on the government. Dogecoin just wants to be a joke that people throw at each other to have a good laugh. And it will do that. Yeah. Um, Doge... And that's how it spread. It essentially spread that way. Right. And like the creator of Dogecoin was like mortified um, in about 2016, 2017, when, um, when the value just skyrocketed and people were actually getting rich off of owning Dogecoin because he created it to mock the cryptocurrency world. Um, and it worked until it didn't. Um, but yeah, Dogecoin is a, is a bit hilarious, actually. I think I got one because someone was handing them out in a Reddit thread, actually. Uh, yep, it was huge on Reddit. Um, Dogecoin was huge um, for a while. 
So, so one of the things that uh, you'll hear people say about other cryptocurrencies, uh, which I think is the most legitimate argument for looking into anything except for Bitcoin, um, is that right now Bitcoin has minimal privacy. Um, it is not technically an anonymous cryptocurrency. It is a pseudonymous cryptocurrency, which is to say I can trace a coin from this address to that address to that other address. I may not know who those who those addresses are associated with, but I do know um, where the coins are going and when they ha when the transactions happened. Um, there are cryptocurrencies out there. Um, Monero is really the only one that's like legitimate um, that claim to completely anonymize the transactions. Where if you look at the Monero blockchain, you don't have you don't have any clue who even the address the transaction is going from, who it's going to. You don't know how much was transacted. You can't figure anything out about these transactions. Um, wow. Is it possible to explain how are they able to be, are, are they decentralized? Is Monero decentralized, first of all, and is it possible to, to keep it totally anonymous while also being decentralized? Is it possible to explain that in simple terms? I, I think so. I think it's possible to explain. So, of all the privacy coins as they're known, I believe Monero is the most decentralized in terms of the network. Um, there is a fairly centralized development team, I think. Um, sure. Okay. But, the, but if the team were to disappear, the network would continue. Yes. In theory, as yeah. long as there were the theory servers is running. If the team were to continue. The network uh, would keep operating, um, that you would still be able to transact. Um, the issue with this, um, which is a bit of a catch-22, is you can't know for sure how many Monero coins are out there, because everything is hidden. And so, you know, for privacy, who cares? I just want people to not be able to track me. However, for a long-term store of value and a um, the a sound form of money, uh, an Austrian type uh, hard money, um, Monero doesn't work because you don't know how much is out there. There might be twice as much today as there was yesterday. You don't know, um, and so you 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 really can't have both of those. Okay, yeah, that touches on another thing I was going to ask about with Bitcoin as a store of value versus Bitcoin as a um, form of payment it sounds like you're in the bitcoin as a store of long-term value um camp i am not, not not really um bitcoin as a store of value is the easiest to understand i am in what is gonna sound like a cop-out i am is in the bitcoin is a protocol camp at its very core bitcoin is text. It's digital, but it is text. It's actually protected by the First Amendment. Um, if I wanted to, I could print, I could create a Bitcoin transaction, print out the hash of it, print it onto a shirt, and then wear it in public. I'm allowed to do that. Um, and I can then take that shirt and mail it to the person who wants to receive my Bitcoins. They can copy the, the numbers from my shirt onto the internet and then they will get their bitcoin um and that is why um i am the most interested in bitcoin 
is actually not which form of money it best is. Um, what is it? A method of exchange, a store of value, and a unit of account. I'm not really interested which one it's best at. I'm interested in the fact that it is it's unstoppable and nobody can shut it down. That being said, um, it is easiest to understand Bitcoin as a store of value, which is to say it's ridiculously easy to protect Bitcoins compared to protecting gold or protecting even physical cash. Um, if you store your money in a bank, well, the bank can steal it or the Fed will inflate it away. If you store it in cash, well, somebody else can steal it or the Fed will inflate it away. If you store your money in gold, well, it's really hard to store gold. You got to have some big guns or people are going to steal it. And It's really heavy. And it's really heavy. And you don't even know if it's real. Like fake gold has been found in like bank vaults. So, so like the, the counterfeiters are out there. With Bitcoin, you can mathematically verify this is um, unique and, and valuable. Absolutely. Yep. So I run a node. I run a node here at my house. Um, I, on my node, I have a history of every single Bitcoin transaction that ever occurred. I can trace the Bitcoins, uh, the small pieces of Bitcoins that I own, um, back to when they were initially mined. I can follow the transaction back to their genesis, if you will. Um, and I can verify that nobody has copy and pasted this Bitcoin, that the, the person who sent it to me um, has the authority to send it, that they didn't steal it from anybody. Um, and then I can verify in mere seconds the number of Bitcoins that are currently ex in existence, um, as well as the, the maximum number of Bitcoins that will ever exist. I have heard discussions on Bitcoin as a store of value versus Bitcoin as a, as a payment um, network. So can I take another moment about and, that? Yeah, yeah. Because I was, I was going to say that at least during the 2017 mm -hmm. um, craze, people, people, seemed, people, people complained about limitations with transaction times. Yes. During that craze, you know what I'm talking about? Yes. Um, and yep. it was around that time that Bitcoin Cash was developed. Is that right? Yes. And um, a, a different protocol. The end result of that is stay as far away from Bitcoin Cash as you can. Um, they don't solve the problems that they claim to. It's centralized. It's um, at this point heading towards dictatorial. Um, but I will get there. I will answer the Bitcoin Cash question um, in in this diatribe. So in 2017, prices were going crazy. Everybody and their mother was interested in cryptocurrencies. Um, it's at that time that one of the um, weaknesses that is also a strength of the Bitcoin blockchain was revealed, which is to say Bitcoin officially has one megabyte block sizes. That's not technically true, but that's what everybody says. It's actually like two or four, um, but uh, we just call it one megabyte. Um, which means Bitcoin can only process so many transactions per second. Uh, no, let me try that again. Bitcoin can only process so many transactions per block, and one block is mined approximately every 10 minutes. Um, so as everybody was buying and selling Bitcoin, um, the, uh, the network filled up. There were a lot of transactions that took hours or sometimes days to process, and if you wanted your transaction to go faster, you would pay multiple tens of dollars, maybe even a hundred or two, um, to get your, pro your transaction to process quickly. 
Um, and that is obviously not sustainable for a, uh, a global payment system. Um, and so what came out of that about that time was known as Bitcoin Cash, which is people thought, well, this simple answer is, let's just increase the block size. So instead of one megabyte blocks, we can do two or four or eight megabyte blocks. Um, we'll get two or four or eight times the number of transactions in. And they are correct. That, that would happen. Um, they would get more transactions in. Um, that is what is known as a hard fork, which is to say the two opinions were not, um, no, the two opinions were mutually exclusive. They could not cooperate. And so at about that time, Bitcoin hard forked. There was what's called Bitcoin, which continued with the smaller block size. And there was what's called Bitcoin Cash, which continued on with the larger block size. The failing, however, of Bitcoin Cash is that it, in doubling, quadrupling, or eight pulling um, the, uh, the Bitcoin block size, they are now doubling or quadrupling the storage size for the Bitcoin, um, for the blockchain, and they are doubling or quadrupling the bandwidth required to run a node. Um, and Bitcoin nodes are the most critical part of the um, of the network if you want it to remain um, decentralized and censorship resistant. And so the Bitcoin Cash mindset um, traded decentralization and censorship resistance for an easy fix to make more transactions go through. Um, and the end is it wasn't worth it. Um, the result was that it is now a highly centralized um, blockchain. Only the people who because it's really expensive to run a node. And contrary to what you might have heard, Bitcoin nodes are the people, well, they're not people, they're the computers. Bitcoin nodes are the ones who secure the network. Bitcoin nodes enforce the rules. Like if I was a broke miner and I wanted to mine a block um, and award myself 100 Bitcoins, um, I can write the code that would let me do that. It's just every other Bitcoin node is going to say, no, this isn't real, and they would kick me off the network. Um, and so it is the nodes who, who, uh, who compel everyone, including all the other nodes, to behave honestly. And if you centralize things so that people cannot afford to run nodes, then the network gets centralized, and then that's when the government swoops in and starts shutting things down. Yeah, you get a lot of institutional or government-run yep, nodes. Absolutely. And with just, 50, with just 51% of a, of a network, you can... You could you could make up lies in a network with just fifty one percent of the nodes. Right? Yep, yep. Um, and so th this leads you could start into to have a... actual inflation, right? So not only did they <laughs> inflate the the value by doing a hard fork and increasing the block size, they could potentially have inflation if institutional or government run nodes decide to inflate. Yep, and some of the uh, absolutely yes, some of the um, some of the things that have come up is one person who is um, highly uh, powerful in the Bitcoin Cash community wanted to implement a 12.5% mining tax, where 12.5% of every transaction goes to the miners. It's literally, I mean, this guy who, his name is Roger Ver. He's a, apparently he's a voluntarist, or a, a, and he's, he's wanting to implement a coercive miners tax. Um, and it's just like Bitcoin Cash has completely jumped the shark. They've, they've gone off the deep end. That's a, that's a, you were supposed to destroy the Sith, not... Yeah, exactly, yep. Um, 
So early, early in the Bitcoin days, the first block halving, when it used to be Bitcoin miners were awarded with 50 Bitcoins per block, at block 210,000, that is, was supposed to drop to 25. Well, there were lots of Bitcoin miners who had changed the code to simply not drop the reward. They just wanted to keep getting 50 Bitcoins. And so at block 210,000, all of a sudden, all the nodes started kicking those miners off the network. They just said, you're not doing it right, you're done. Um, and it really showed the, um, the power that Bitcoin nodes have um, to keep everybody honest. So jumping back to the um, store of value versus means of payment argument, one, one solution that I've heard is that, like you said, Bitcoin is just the protocol. It's just a, a means of communication. And we would actually have another layer of decentralized companies that, you know, you'd have a Bitcoin PayPal and you'd have a Bitcoin Venmo and you'd have a, a Bitcoin um, Cash app that would actually do your person-to-person payments. And as a settlement transaction, Bitcoin would be the settlement transaction between those companies, kind of like ACH is for the U.S. dollar. Yeah, that? so that technology that? currently exists. It's called the Lightning Network. Um, uh, there's something about um, the internet that uh, is the base protocol, uh, whereas then there's TCP IP, which is built on top of it. Uh, you can't use TCP IP unless you're using the base protocol. You can use the base protocol without TCP IP, but it's like ridiculously clunky. Um, anyway, um, so... There's the Bitcoin uh, blockchain, uh, excuse me, there's there's the Bitcoin network that provides immense transactional security. Once uh, once a transaction is mined and added to the blockchain, um, you can trust that it's real and that it's irreversible. Um, And then there is what is called the Lightning Network that has been built on top of Bitcoin. It's called Layer 2. Essentially, it is a protocol built on top of the Bitcoin protocol in essence, is an elaborate bar tab system that allows people to transact with each other um, instantaneously uh, without having to worry about waiting for blocks to uh, be mined and added to the blockchain. They don't have to worry about um, how to route their payment from here to that person over there, um, and, and the transactions settle instantly. So if I wanted to buy something, um, with the Lightning Network, I could go to the website, they send me the QR code, I scan my Lightning um, invoice, and then, um, then it's done. I mean, it is actually technically um, can be faster than Visa uh, and MasterCard. Um, with all the transactional security of Bitcoin, with all the store of value, um, sound money-ness of Bitcoin, um, but it's just the faster protocol that's built on top of it. And that currently exists right now. I have a couple hundred Satoshis um, in my, my Lightning node that I could use if I wanted to send somebody an instantaneous transaction. Um, and so it really gives people the ability to choose what they want. If I'm buying a house, um, I will probably buy it with actual Bitcoin layer Bitcoins, where I might have to sit there for an hour with the house seller waiting for my transaction to confirm, but I know that it's super duper secure. It's not going anywhere. Once it's on the blockchain, it's done. Or if I'm buying a coffee, that's when I'll, that's when I'll grab the, uh, the Lightning Network, where um, 
it's instantaneous it's fast it's quick um it's light i can carry around you know a couple 10 20 bucks on the lightning network on my phone without having to carry around my entire bitcoin wallet um on my phone and you can find apps nowadays on the uh the play store or the android store um that uh allow you to interact with either or both of the of those the bitcoin um network or the lightning network oh that's awesome especially for the non-technical people or the people that are kind of new to this or even for me who i'm not new to this but i haven't i don't run a you know i don't run a bitcoin node so we want to know how can i support society's move towards a decentralized currency when I'm paid with U.S. dollars and my goods are priced in U.S. dollars. Buy yourself some Bitcoin. If you um, haven't seen a transaction, find somebody who has seen a transaction and is willing to transact with you. I will send anybody 50 cents worth of Bitcoin if they are looking to see their first transaction. And I don't have to be in person. You send me the address, I'll send you the Bitcoin. Um, just uh, do a, a surface-level deep dive into how Bitcoin works. Learn about what a node is. Learn about what mining is, what the proof of work is. Um, learn about the economics of it. Why does Bitcoin have a finite supply? Why is that significant? What is the stock to flow? What is the Bitcoin happening that's coming up in May? Um, and then um, see if there are any... Uh, Bitcoin meetups or any sort of organizations in your area. Obviously, this will be easier for people who live in larger cities. There's nothing nearby me. Um, the closest city is two and a half hours away. Um, that's not really feasible for me to attend. I tried to start a group. Uh, three people showed up. One was me. One was a guy who I dragged there. But one was one person that I had no idea who he was. He found us on Twitter. Um, so there are people out there who are interested. So if there is no organization in your area, I would advise you. Post something on Craigslist, post something on Facebook. See if there's anybody who's interested to just get together and learn a little bit. And then finally, um, if you offer a good or service, to, uh, make it known that you accept Bitcoin as a payment. Uh, and if you're willing, if you believe in it enough, offer a discount. Tell people to give them 5-10% off um, if they pay in Bitcoin. If you, if you can hold Bitcoin long enough, the odds are you'll get that 5 or 10% back and you'll help people um, look into uh, using it some more. If you don't offer goods or service anytime you uh, um, are, are buying something, if you've got the guts, which I never have, but if you do, ask the merchant, do you guys accept Bitcoin? And if they don't, and they look at you and they actually might be interested in hearing about it, be prepared to tell them a little bit about what it is and, and why they should think about it. Um, finally, Craigslist is actually really interesting. They now have a cryptocurrency accepted um, checkbox on their, on their stuff for sale. So just go browse Craigslist in your area um, or not in your area and, and see if you can buy something for Bitcoin. See, the thing about Bitcoin is, well, actually, the thing about Craigslist is you don't ever ship stuff to people because it's always going to be a fraud. Um, they promise they'll wire you the money after you send them the tracking number. They never do. And then your thing is lost. Um, however, with Bitcoin, I can ship something I'm selling on Craigslist anywhere, just as long as I've received a, uh, a confirmed transaction. Now, the buyer, of course, is the one who's at that point accepting the risk, and they might not be willing to do it. Um, but it does open up opportunities for 
uh, the seller to have a little more freedom in where they're selling their their thing. Awesome. Good stuff. So the key there is it's a good long-term hedge, um, but you wouldn't want to put in your short-term emergency fund. Yeah, no, the U.S. dollar is virtually guaranteed to lose its value um, on the order of years, if not currently months. Um, but you can be relatively confident that the uh, the number of digits will be the same in a year as it was today. Um, at this point, you can't be confident about that in Bitcoin. So if you need, I mean, I'm talking like your three-month emergency fund type thing. You don't put that in Bitcoin. You, you might not be able to access your full value when you need it. Hey, this is IOA Cap bringing you some fan comment highlights for the week from uh our post a repost of anarcho christians meme on denying the existence of price gouging on march 17 someone uh edward k halloran halloran said ever notice the same people who want to stop profiteering also want to stop undercutting i thought that was a really an insightful uh, observation you know, it seems to be something that would work against that. Um, they don't. They at the same time don't want people uh, jacking up prices in order to make money, and yet they seem to be against the possibility of also letting their opponents undercut them. I thought that was a really insightful observation, Edward K. Halloran. Halloran. Also on our post from March nineteen. Corona isn't Trump's fault. Ebola wasn't Obama's. SARS wasn't Bush's. And only a handful of cases of herpes was Clinton's. We had a comment from Lindsay Hughes. You'll note they stay away from the suicide statistics. Nice. The third one is from the retweet from Privatize Edu. Remember when the AIDS epidemic started and the corporate press whipped everyone in a frenzy by acting like everyone was going to get it? Once they were in a frenzy and acted on it, they changed the script and called everyone that worried homophobic. And I made the comment, Wheel of Oppression, turn, 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 show us the propaganda that we should learn. Which, of course, is from Animaniacs. And I promised a shout-out, and Ryan Lambert got, gets that shout-out. He uh, called it, and Eric Martinez said specifically Yakko. Meanwhile, our friend John Boley did not thought uh, did not get it. He thought it was a bird's parody, but you know, close enough. So he'll get a shout out as well. And finally, on our Chris Rosini tweet sharing, when you hear of shortages, the first question to ask is at what price? Uh, there, once again, there's a great, uh, comment by Orion L. Nauman. A friend told me that a store in France made an option that you could buy anything at regular price, but if one wants to buy a duplicate item, they would charge 150 euro more. I thought that was a perfect example of volunteerism and capitalism, and I agree. That's why I think the, the, the problem with forced price, um controls is that it prevents the market from coming up with creative solutions like this in times of disaster someone is going to come up with a plan like this unless of course 
price controls are instituted, in which case there will always be shortages. And one thing to always remember, dear listener. And that'll do it for fan comments. For meanwhile on Twitter, there was a lot of attempted dunks on libertarianism that went horribly, horribly awry. Uh, Hillary Agro had never heard of this person. Um, apparently they're studying anthropology and uh, they talked about how their dunk on libertarianism is what went viral. I think it was the massive failure of a dunk. Said, I wonder how libertarians are dealing with the fact that the current crisis is annihilating their entire ideology. Kurt, <laughs> who remarks he is still a libertarian in his and he's a checkmate state. He's phenomenal. You should follow him on Twitter. Libertarians, government screws up healthcare. Governments, they screw up healthcare. Libertarians, price controls cause shortages. Price controls cause shortages. Libertarians, governments increase inequality. Governments give trillions, trillion dollar bailouts to rich donors. Status, I wonder how libertarians are dealing with the fact that the current crisis is annihilating their entire ideology. Uh, here's a hint, it's not. Uh, at Alex Ardell, another great follow, says government unilaterally destroys tens of millions of jobs overnight. Overnight. Galaxy brains. Lol, how will libertarians ever recover? Uh, and then Liberty Deity at Liberty Deity. I have never seen so much assur assertion with so little explanation. To which uh, Austin Rudol Rudol says. I don't understand how this is dismantling our ideology when it's literally proving how ineffective government is and how much red tape we have had to cut. It prompts the question why we had that insert regulation to begin with. Great observation. And of course, I chimed in myself at flyover liver to one, Ioan cap. Most of the stuff the government is doing is, wait for it, and this must be done in a psych Sean a uh, voice. Wait for it. Wait for it. Loosening up on regulations. It's almost like they were the problem. Hmm. Uh, and then at Jen Jennifer underscore Jennifer. Well, okay, Jennifer Monroe. I don't understand this take, and I've not seen a single person making it explain. Like, what exactly has happened in the last seven weeks that would even make me question my ideology, let alone not have absolutely vindicated it? And the great row, a great follow, says, I feel my ideology is vindicated rather than refuted. Absolutely right. And a different person making a similar point was pointed out by the great uh, comic Dave Smith. Uh, Claire Lehman uh, says, in good times, I'm a centrist libertarian, uh, but in hard times, I'm pragmatic. Whether it's the nationalism, nationalization of utilities, Keynesian stimulus, quarantine and surveillance, if it works, do it. Scale it back later. Uh, the narrator adds in at this point, but they didn't scale it back later. Which is exactly the problem. And, but Dave Smith says, why not be for what works in good times? In other words, you're never a libertarian. Absolutely, because there's always some way they're going to try and justify it. And Duke Silver posted a tweet, uh, meme, but if people get sick, this all goes out the window, right? Oh, which is a picture of founding fathers, of course. 
And uh, Emo Hoppian says, centrist libertarianism is leftism. I'm not sure I agree. In fact, maybe I... Well, you know what? I, okay, I see his point. Um, although I sometimes say the only thing worse than leftism is centrism. Honestly, centrism, is they like to uh, plant themselves as the moderates in the room, but frankly, they're just warmonger control power freaks. That's what they are. It's the only thing worse than a leftist is a centrist. And making a general comment on this, uh, at Alicia Nyan, nothing distinguishes actual libertarians from fake libertarians quite like a pandemic. Absolutely. And then Michael Bolden from the 10th Amendment Center said, So I just heard Pence talk about federal regulation that's been lifted to allow companies to sell industrial products to healthcare facilities. They can now ramp up production and sell them nine N95 masks. So the shortage has really been the government regulation in the first place? So once again, it's just all these takes of like libertarianism is disproven in the time of shortage. No one's a libertarian in a time of chaos. Chaos and moments like this is the time to double down on our libertarianism because it proves us absolutely right. So do not fear. Do not back down. Stand tall, all six of you. Uh, Jared R J. Rad Rabble, great follow on Twitter, uh, posted a picture of <laughs> of Rachel Maddow in the Russian connection. Uh, and and this Michael Chance said, "What's the difference between Rachel Maddow and Alex Jones?" His response was, "Alex Jones is right fifty percent of the time." That's absolutely correct. And then there's this video going around <sighs> of these. Boneheads robbing grocery stores and making little packages to give to people. And if that doesn't illustrate socialism better than anything, stealing from people who are working to try and make money in order to give to someone else. So stealing from product productive people in order to give to other people and then calling it compassion. It's not compassion. You're screwing over the people who are working. And for I I retweeted it. It was originally from Petit Nikoko. And I retweeted it saying, Parents, freaking do better. This crap is what happens when you farm out ethical and moral instruction to government schools. Then, uh, just a funny comment. Uh, libertarian redhead. Finland closed its borders. There will be no crossing the finish line. Oh, the dad joke is strong with this one. And finally, Florida Department of Health said pregnant women may be more susceptible to contracting a virus. Women who are pregnant can help themselves from COVID-19 by covering their cough, avoiding people who are sick, and by often washing their hands. So you can protect yourself from getting sick by covering your cough. Good one. So that's our top fan comments and meanwhile on Twitter for the week. If you want to be featured in our uh, podcast in the future, please 
continue to be witty and or insightful on our Facebook page whenever you see us post something. Respond in a witty manner, in a helpful manner, in an insightful manner. And if you want to keep us abreast of things going on on Twitter, I will be there. So just tweet it at flyoverliberta1 and hashtag meanwhile on Twitter. And that will be very helpful for us. And we will feature these galaxy brain takes and the heroic people who refute them in future podcasts. Thanks again. I'm just so proud of myself for having acted like I understand this so far.